0: how should Christians handle pornography the world continues to embrace sexual immorality more and more but the Bible calls us to flee how do we flee how do we heal how do we help those fighting this around us this week sexual addiction therapist Rosie McKinney shares the only thing that freed her marriage from pornography's demonic hold hey I'm Shay
1: and I'm Michelle
0: are you equipped for the real battle And the spiritual is not just about your weaponry, it's about what you consume and who's calling the shots in your life. You are listening to The Pantry Podcast, Season 7, God Intentions, where we look at the way we live and ask, is this from God or do I just think this is good?
1: Help us fuel 59 countries with spiritual nutrition. Donate on Patreon or thepantrypodcast.com.
0: And now let's dig into the meal. Hey!
1: Hi, man! It's
0: awesome to be here. Yes, yes, always, for sure. always, man! I am excited. Go figure. <laughs> That's my go-to phrase, y'all. I am excited because we have someone that is just awesome, and we're going to be talking about something that I think has a huge impact on a lot of people's lives, uh, whether we hide it or we we acknowledge it or we allow it, but it definitely um, brings in an aspect that is damaging two relationships. And we're going to be talking about pornography. You know, when we look at God, we look at his perfect institution, how he built man and woman, how he built them to be together, how he built them to love one another, how to be together, be cleaved as one, like in Genesis two twenty four, where he leaves his father and his mother. But see, evil likes to come in. Evil likes to corrupt the perfectness of God. And in First John two sixteen, it says, for all that is in the world, the desires of the flesh and the desires of the eyes and the pride and possessions, it is not from the father, but from this world. And I think today we have the perfect person that'll bring in this episode and talk about this from a very professional point of view.
1: (laughs) Yeah. Today we have Rosie McKinney, and she is the founder of Fight for Love Ministries, which is comprised of a team of passionate women committed to bringing hope and truth to other women battling porn in their relationships. The goal of Fight for Love Ministries is for all women to have a baseline of information about the dangers of porn and the way out of addiction so that every marriage has a fighting chance. We'll hear more about her story and why this is such a personal fight for her during our conversation. But for now, welcome, Rosie, to the pantry. Thank you for inviting me. It's so lovely to see you and be chatting with you today. I know. I know. It's It's always great to hang out with you. So I guess the first thing is give people a little insight into why you and why this ministry.
2: Great question. This was never my dream growing up. (laughs) No, this this was my story. In fact, I did this story twice. So I was with a guy who was addicted to pornography twice. So the first time, this was before I was a Christian and he was very unrepentant. He blamed me. And so I tried everything I could possibly think of, anything I'd read about or heard about to get this out of the relationship because it was really, it was really affecting things and it was really just destroying our, you know, my trust, my heart, everything. So I tried everything I could think of and nothing worked. He remained unrepentant and eventually that fell apart and it was very painful. Um, But fast forward a little bit, and then I meet my husband um, or my to-be husband. And he tells me that he's struggled in the past with pornography, but in my naivety, I'm like, okay, so he's admitted that it's a struggle. So obviously this is like a bad thing and he doesn't want it. And he says that he's got it under control, um, he's done recovery before. This isn't going to be a problem because when we get married, obviously everything is going to go away. So I, I get married and then very soon, honeymoon soon, it's clear that this is still affecting him quite significantly because it doesn't just affect guys in the bedroom. It affects them outside as well. It affects how they treat you and how they view you. So I think I had sort of like a PTSD Reaction. I'm like, no, this is happening again. I can't do this. I know where this leads. I cannot go down this road again. And I just went, enough, enough. I am freezing the bank again. I am, you know, calling a divorce lawyer. You are getting help, or that's it. Which was quite dramatic and didn't please my parents very much. Um, but I was just adamant that I, I couldn't do this. He had to get help. I could not go through this again because I knew that nothing I did, nothing I did, was going to make any difference. Um fortunately, he was ready to get help. He'd lost a previous marriage to this. And uh that's what we did. We got into recovery. And it was a it was a, you know, <laughs> not how you want to spend your newlywed days. Mm, right. Um, being stuck in a treehouse in California with a recovering sex addict. However, um it, it was what we needed to do. We both arrived at the marriage with a lot of baggage, and that's why just things exploded. And I really think that was God putting us together so he could. Use each other's brokenness to heal the other. Um, So, uh, you know, the fact that I'd been through it already and managed to draw that firm line in the sand was what he needed. That was the catalyst he needed. Someone going enough. And you know, his his brokenness when we got into recovery helped me eventually unpack that I'd got some brokenness as well that I'd not dealt with. So that was our journey.
0: Yeah. So I'm 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 listening to this, this 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 Wow. Like two times, you know, you get in the second one. So telltale signs, you know, like you said, it was very obvious, you know, but was it that obvious or were you just aware and there were signs that you could see? in the second marriage, you know? And so if, if you do have some of those and you don't mind sharing those, yeah. that would be awesome to, to put out there because I think that it's important for people to understand some of these signs. Right. Maybe they think they're just not good enough or, and they're, and they're not, you know, they're not understanding what's going on. And maybe this could be something that would say, Hey, this gives me a direction.
2: Mm-hmm. Great question. So let's take um, red flags in the bedroom first, because there's going to be problems there. If somebody is compulsively watching pornography, it's going to be impacting your sex life. It just is. So people tend to go one of two ways. They either become hypersexual, as you might expect, and they want more frequent sex. They want to imitate things they've seen. They might become coercive, manipulative. You know, there's just a lot of pressure and it's, it's just a horrible situation to be in, to feel that whatever you do is not enough. You know, they're never satisfied. But the other way that, that people can go is that they become sexually avoidant they avoid their partners. They have conditioned their brains to be aroused by this isolated voyeuristic experience. And that's what does it for them now. So actually being the real person, it's just, it's just not, it's just not cutting it anymore. And this is for the partner. It's absolutely devastating because it's hard to wrap your head around the fact that, okay, my partner is compulsively using porn, but yet he doesn't want to have sex with me. Like it's got to be me. It's got to be because I don't measure up. And that's simply not true. So those are sort of the two main ways that you can, if that is your situation, I would just say you need to start having the conversation and find out whether, you know, compulsive pornography use is present in your marriage. If your marriage is looking like either of those two scenarios. Um, and, uh, you know, along with that, you might be, you know, he he might be experiencing erectile dysfunction. This is hugely common now among younger men, which it never was before the um, advent of internet pornography. But that's another big red flag Um, So that's inside the bedroom, but outside the bedroom, because of the way that affects your brain and it alters your baseline of happiness and, uh, you know, the way that your neural pathways are now can, you know, firmly cemented in that uh, route that whatever upsets you, or even if you having a happy emotion, a strong emotion, your brain automatically goes to pornography because that's your coping mechanism. That's how you've wired your brain. So, how it affects people outside the bedroom is that they might be, they might be more distant and they might just not be interacting with you. They might feel very, very, uh, you know, there's something wrong with their intimacy. Like he's never here. Um, or they might become angry, critical, resentful, blaming. Um, and that's a horrible, that was my situation. And, uh, I was like, this is weird. I'm not doing anything. And yet I am somehow always in trouble, you know, like, he's now telling, he can see inside my head. He knows how I'm thinking. And it's like, this is really weird. Like something's going on here and I'm pretty sure this isn't me. So either of those two things, if you're like, there is something seriously off with our relationship, especially if it's changed, like you've noticed a marked change, like things that used to um, make your partner happy, like their hobbies, their work, their relationships, you know, hanging out with the kids. But if that's just all, just nothing is making them happy anymore. They're just miserable all the time. You know, there's something neurobiologically going on to make them miserable and depressed and detached and distant and deceptive and all those things. So you, you know, like I've never met somebody who didn't know uh, that something was up. I mean, even people who get absolutely blindsided where, where they suddenly find the pornography and they go, Oh my goodness, has this been going on? They always knew something was up. They just didn't know exactly what.
1: Right. And you mentioned that the the pinnacle for you was instead of just taking the good intention advice that the world gives when you Google or when you go talk to a friend, you just stood up and you said, this is wrong. And you, for a lack of better term, like you just shined light on it. You said, no, I this did. is not acceptable. And that's a biblical concept. And even in the church, it's not popular because it adds to conflict. It adds to the awkwardness, the discomfort. That's a little too real as far as iron sharpening iron. Hmm. So when you, um, I also know that on your website, you have resources that are what actually works, the God intention behind this. So can you walk us through what the intentions of the world tend to say and how those are counter biblical versus what you did, which sounds scary, but that's exactly what we're called to do. Yeah. Yeah.
2: Absolutely. So, the strategies that we normally hear, like if we take the ones that we hear in the world, that's normally um, that you need to get over yourself, watch it with him, compete with it. Um, You know, if you've got a problem with pornography, it's probably your problem. You know, it's not a problem for him. Everybody's doing it. It's totally normal. It's ubiquitous use everywhere. You're the one with the problem. So, you just need to get over yourself. And, you know, studies have proven that even a really small amount of pornography affects the way that you view your partner. It is going to make you dissatisfied. There isn't a safe amount of pornography. This isn't like sexual junk food where it's like, well, a little bit's all right. It's like, no, even a small amount is actually uh, mm. infecting. It's poisoning your relationship. Um, so uh, that, that's sort of the, the message in the world. So, you, you know, the answer is you hear this don't you in Cosmo all the time, you know, are you an independent sexually savvy woman um, you know, you know, uh, learn to uh, have sex like a porn star. It's like, no, that's really not going to do it. That's really not going <laughs> right. to do it. And uh, it doesn't, even porn stars have come forward and said um, that they can't get their partners to stay faithful to them. You know, it's yeah. like, because it's not to do with the real person. It's to do with the endless novelty and the endless variety that internet pornography provides. So that's basically that the, world, the, the world's message. But in the church, we also kind of get this message that, you know, you can fix it. You can fix it because the way to stop him being tempted is to make yourself more sexually available. You know, he has this need that needs to be satisfied every 72 hours. I mean, you've heard these teachings. They're just not true. They're not, they're not based in science. They're, they're, I don't know what they're based in, but they're just not based in science. People are not going to explode if they don't have sex every 72 hours. Cause this, you know, it sets up this dynamic right, where, right women have start having obligational sex and uh, you know, the studies that have come out recently have, or, you know, the survey, should I say that when women have obligational sex, their bodies react as if they're being abused, they shut down mm. because, you know, our heads are not in the game. You know, this is our bodies are telling us what our heart can't yet acknowledge in that. We don't want to do this. He's not present. I don't feel emotionally connected. I don't feel safe. Mm. Um, so, the other message that you get in the church is that if you create a, an environment that is so loving and so you know unconditional love and forgiving and graceful, that somehow he's going to feel so loved that he doesn't need to do pornography. Mm. And that's not true. You know, does that work in any other addiction? You know, right. I'm just going to I'm just going to shower you love and you're never going to reach for the vodka bottle again. We know that doesn't work. In addiction, and we know that actually, no, you need to raise the white flag and you need to get some professional help. We understand that, but somehow in pornography, we haven't caught up yet. We we don't we just don't understand that about process addictions, even though we're okay with gambling addiction. But that's a process addiction. You're not addicted to the cash. You're addicted to the chemicals in your brain that are released when you're gambling, and that's what's happening in pornography. So any of those strategies sort of compete with it, ignore it, overlook it, forgive it, have more sex. None of those are actually going to help you. They're actually going to further traumatize you and just set you up for like decades of a miserable marriage. And actually they're enabling his addiction to get worse because the longer you do this, the more, the more nasty the pornography has to get in order for you to still get a hit because you build up tolerance. So, right. so really Perfect. all in all, the only thing you to do is to stand firm.
0: Right. Yeah. That progressiveness, you know, you, you use the analogy like sweets, you know, come on, be real. Let's, I'm looking at my audience right now and saying, <laughs> I'm just going to have a piece of chocolate. Mm-hmm. Well, doesn't that always expand? I mean, okay, let's take the hundred, <laughs> let's take the hundred calorie bars. You know, it's like, these are hundred calorie bars. I'll eat like 10 of them. Sit, <laughs> you know, I sit down like 10 of these things and it's like, they're only hundred calories, but then I just ate a thousand. But no, it's like any little bit that goes in and it's amazing how that progression is in the pornography realm. Um, how it is progressive. It's like it, today this satisfied and tomorrow it doesn't satisfy. So that that was an interesting point in there, you know, it, it, it that people need to understand. It's like you can't just sit there and say, well, if you watch a little bit. No, that little bit is wrecking the institution that God has built, you know. Now, now I do have a question, and as I'm sitting here, because we're hearing this like, well, you know, let's go to those verses that are misused sometimes. I, I want to use this verse that's misused. It came to me, women, don't deny your husbands, <laughs> now, as the man in the room, I know better. I know the, how that works. You know, it's like it's like there's supposed to be this relationship, but this isn't that perfect sense, this isn't that God sense, this isn't that God love sense. Um what when, when a woman comes with that, you know, on their heart, they're like, but the Bible says, Don't deny my husband. What do we tell them? What, what do we say to him? You know, how do we approach that? Because I mean Hey, look, and I'm looking y'all in first Corinthians, it's first Corinthians seven. So in that, in that passage is talking about husbands and wives, but that's showing the perfect package. Mm
2: -hmm. Yeah. And I would say that, um, you know, your Lord and savior is not your husband. You have a much higher Lord and savior and, you know, our submission to our husbands, does not supersede our submission to God. And God is very clear about keeping ourselves pure and keeping ourselves holy and away from ungodly things. And in marriage, two become one. And if he is looking at pornography, he is infecting you. So your role, if he's looking at pornography, is to keep yourself pure. And if that means that he's sleeping in another room, he's sleeping in another room because you're following the word of God. And what brings guys to repentance is observing their wife's pure behavior. That's in 1 Peter 3. It says, in the same way, wives, submit yourselves to your own husbands so that even if some disobey the word, they may be won over without a word by the way their wives live when they observe your pure, reverent lives. Mm -hmm. Okay. So um, it's interesting because there are different translations of that word reverent. Some people say uh, reverent, some people say respect, and some people, um, no, some people, it's actually the NKJV. It says, when they observe your chaste conduct accompanied by fear. So it's like, oh, I'm supposed to be frightened of my husband, but it's like, no, no, no. If you actually dig into the the Greek grammar, you find out that that fear accompanied by fear is his fear, not your fear. So um, when he observes your chaste, your pure behavior, which is basically standing up and saying, we're not having this in our marital bed. It's infecting us. He's the one who's being convicted. He's the one who's experiencing fear. Like, OK, she's she's, you know, drawing a firm line and it's making me feel really uncomfortable. And I truly believe that this is how God brings people to repentance. He uses wives. He uses partners to actually um, to be the catalyst to, you know, he it isn't the wife's behavior that's convicting them. It is God through her standing firm and obeying the word of God that actually brings him to repentance. And isn't that wonderful? And it says in that verse, without a word, this doesn't mean that you have to stand there persuading him and trying to get him to see. And why won't you see? I mean, their brains have been hijacked, you know, cease your striving. Do not, you know, try and make him see, try and make him be okay with the fact he's got to give up his coping mechanism. It's not going to work. You know, he's desperately fighting for his survival because in his mind is the only thing that takes away the pain. It's the only thing that makes life, you know, bearable when it all gets crazy. So just by you standing firm and going, I love you, honey, too much to let you drown in this and to let me drown in the, you know, the the aftershocks of you doing this. um, I'm standing firm and you're going to have to deal with the repercussions of a wife who doesn't want to be with you when you're doing that.
1: Right. You know, in Ephesians 4.25, it says, therefore, laying aside falsehood, speak truth, each one of you with his neighbor, for we are members of one another. And how much more so is this true in your own home with the one you've become one flesh with? We talk about what is agape love? Well, when you look at how God loves us, he's speaking truth to us unapologetically, understanding it will hurt and make us uncomfortable and will cause us pain often, not even just sometimes the truth to a sinful creature causes pain. And yet in our own lives, we've adopted this view of love from the world that says, you know, you have to accept all of this. You have to coddle, you have to sugarcoat. And I mean, that's what we say on the show. This is for Christians who crave truth over cavities. What causes cavities? The sugar, the erosion of enabling yourself with things. Because even when you go to grace, yes, forgiveness, yes, understanding and seeing them as a flawed, sick individual, You know, in the sense of they are being plagued by sin just like every other person. And yet the solution is not to say, you're not really sick, because this is fine. It's to say, I'm going to help you get better by doing what God has told me to do. Not, Not taking your burden completely on by myself, but to share in this burden by taking it to the Lord on your behalf and cutting you off in any way I can from enabling you to do these things.
0: As, as, as you guys are talking, it's like this disconnection, right mm-hmm. First Thessalonians 519 don't quench the spirit. You're kind of like when you're in this realm of God. now this theology is, uh, majors out there we'll see but but, we'll, <laughs> but but this is the thought that was coming over me. This is what I was thinking about the whole time. It's like we're supposed to be the representation of God. We're supposed to be the representation of Christ, right? So when we have this sin doesn't mean we don't have the grace, it doesn't mean we don't have the love. it doesn't mean that're we're, we're not having the mercy that's involved that, that to, for the healing but there's a disconnection, right? Your sin is creating a disconnection in the design.
2: Yeah. And
0: that, and that is very interesting.
2: It is. And I love what you were saying about, you know, dragging things into the light because light is a disinfectant, you know, and light is where Jesus is. And so by raising that white flag on your partner's behalf and going, "Ah, we've got a hole in the boat. We're sinking. Okay. He's (laughs) the one, he's the one kicking the boat in. However, I'm still sitting in the boat and we've got a problem um, because you know, going back to that, to become one, if somebody is compulsively using pornography, their brain is adult. The one who isn't using, you know, pornography compulsively, their brain isn't adult. They're now the thinking part. They are now the prefrontal cortex of this partnership. And they're the ones who need to raise the white flags because I talk to so many women who, who are like, um, he needs to get better. He needs to want to do this. He, I need to wait for him to make a move. And I'm like, he's drowning. You're expecting a drowning man to lift himself onto the, the life raft. You need to be the one who, who, you know, rings up the lifeboat and says, go and pick him up. You know, we've got a problem here. He's drowning. You can't wait until they, they want it, (laughs) you know, and and that's a really hard message. And, And like you were saying, Michelle, it's not a message that we want to hear in the church because we're conflict avoidant and we want everything to be fine and we don't want to make waves, but this is really serious. We only need to look at the divorce rates and, you know, the rapid growth of addiction in guys and girls um, to know that this is really, really serious, and so for the sake of making a few waves, let's start having those conversations really early, and assume that everybody has a relationship with pornography. You know, not that they're all compulsively using it, but you know, that would be the question I would ask. Not do you struggle with pornography? Because people can say, "Well, no, not, not really," because in their minds they haven't looked at it for three months. My question would be, when was the last time you looked, and how often are you looking? You know, just get it out on the table and don't come from it from a, you know, a a superior point of view, like you're doing this horrible thing, but like, you know, we're together in this and I love us and I love our future. And I want us to really fulfill what God has for us. So let's just check out what's really going on under the surface here, because we've never really had this conversation and, you know, we're all broken. I'm not particularly broken in that way. I'm broken in many, many other ways, but I want to check that you're not broken in this way because it is going to take us down. It's so true.
0: And what is the what is the, the the trigger points? You know, like when you're sitting there saying that three months, like every three months, every three months, every three. What what is the buildup?
2: Mm-hmm.
0: I think that. But see, sometimes I, I'm I'm that guy too. It's not that I don't want to address the problem. In fact, I pooh man. In fact, I, conflict in the church. I love it. <laughs> I, I actually love iron sharpening iron. Uh, Sorry, y'all, that's just me. But uh <laughs> but I, I like the iron sharpening iron because like Michelle was saying, like you're saying and how this light, you know, shines itself into the darkness. When the things come out in the light, when we sit there and sugarcoat the things and say, Oh, well, grace and mercy and don't worry about it and whatever. Okay, hold up. Are we not addressing the issues that are tearing the 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 Christian family apart? And and, and you know, you say you have your own little sins and and these sins and, and all of these things magnify themselves when they're not addressed. Uh, pornography is just one of those ones that is like, you know, the top 10, you know, like when we put it on the top 10 list. And it's amazing, though, when we don't shine the light, when we don't address it, when we don't hear that it's bad, you know, in my own life, it took me knowing some certain things. I think some of the things that really made me change, number one, well, God, I mean, Christ, he was the ultimate, the ultimate winner there, because that's what it was. But then you start to learn other things. When you start to open your mind to to what pornography is, um, who's behind who's behind that camera who's in front of that camera you start to really unpack a very dark society um of a lot of bondage a lot of trafficking a lot of slavery and you start to sit there and you think like wow but and and then i told i've told friends this before i've told friends hey look this is what's going on this is what you're doing every time you look and you know what i learned that sometimes isn't even enough Mm -hmm. it's like and then what really ends up doing it for the people who've overcome it is christ Yeah. Yeah. It's like they, they find this. Like this, this, this um, discernment or, or this, this, this conviction, there's the word I'm looking for. Yeah. This conviction that Christ lays on them, the conviction of the family conviction of the home. And and, and then that is where I see people change the most, but Christ has to step in.
2: You're, you're absolutely right. And, It's not just the issues of, you know, human trafficking and, you know, is it consensual? If you actually look at what pornography actually is, for those of us who, you know, didn't grow up with the Internet and weren't particularly exposed to it. And I'm certainly not looking at it now. It's mind blowing, actually, what pornography is about. This isn't about consensual adults. You know, having sex, this is about violence, it's about degradation, it's about humiliation, it's really nasty, demonic stuff. This is a huge Asherah pole right in our churches that we're not talking about. This is really, really demonic. And I don't want it to be, you know, dramatic, but I do honestly think when you look at the two directions that pornography is going in, and it has to go, it has to push the envelope because people are getting tolerant. So they're demanding more and more. It's becoming younger. And it's becoming more violent. And mm-hmm. you know, I'm not gonna get into details like some other pornography activists do about what you what is sort of standard fare in your typical pornography scene, but it's absolutely horrific. It's absolutely horrific. And this is what our kids are clicking on, you know, within three clicks, they can find it. Yeah. So I th- that's why I'm like, you know, I just wanna raise this army of women to go. We gotta start talking about this. We can't rely on guys in their breakfast meetings to, you know, their porn and pancake sessions to, to cope with this. We have got to start talking about this because it's really, really demonic stuff that has a stranglehold on our children, on our on our men, and also our young women now. You know, women, the third of porn users are now women, and they're younger women because they're growing up with it. And, you know, there's like a diminishing window of opportunity for people to actually stand up and say, enough, we have to tackle this. We have to get it out in the light. And if this isn't your issue, you know, you can still campaign to bring this issue up at your church. You can still get people there to give their testimonies. You can still bring in the fantastic documentaries and ministries that are out there. You know, we need everybody to, to to start walking in the light about this because I have never met, never yet met anybody who doesn't have a close relationship with somebody who's been affected by this, either a friend or a relative or a partner. I've never met them. They just, you know, I don't know. You tell me (laughs) I've never met
1: one. Um, I love what you said about demonic. We're letting a demonic system dictate to us what's acceptable to say to people. And we don't need to condemn them. That's not our role. But the opposite of condemning is not to completely. I mean, well, I guess the opposite of condemning is to completely allow. Right. But we're not called to do the exact opposite of condemn. We're called to judge things rightly. And not say where you're going when you die, but to say what this thing's roots are. And if it's demonic roots, then we are called to call on Christ because he says that when we have a brother that's sinning and we call on Christ, he will deliver life to them. And when we sit with them and say, you know, we're going to link arms with you, we're going to join you in scripture, even if I'm not the one who can take you to, you know, an addiction therapist, right? Right. I can sit there and hit you up every day and read some verses with you. Cause what does God say? The verses do they renew our minds. Mm. And as a psych major, I always say this about the synapses in our minds and how that even worked for me. The, the, the synapses being renewed in my mind eradicated so much damage that that kind of stuff did in my life. And I know that it's done the same for you because I'm one of those younger women. I'm of the generation that it started to become normal and accepted And there were even some of us who used it to curve or curb the feeling so we could stay pure. Mm. Right. But that's not true because my eyes are doing the thing just like God says.
2: I, I really love the direction that you're going in because, um, you know, we haven't talked about what recovery is. Recovery is creating healthy intimacy because Mm -hmm. pornography is this coping mechanism and is an unhealthy, um, way of coping with the fact you've got an intimacy disorder. And so the way out of this is beautifully biblical. It's, you know, walk in the light as he is in the light. Um, And then you have fellowship and the blood of Jesus Christ will cleanse you from your sin. So we have to walk in the light with one another not just on our own in our prayer closet with one another. And this is what these recovery groups are at. And you actually, you know, you're not just confessing, Oh, I looked at porn. You're confessing that I'm angry and I'm resentful. And I'm full of hate. And I'm just, you know, you're really getting it all out there. And, and the way that, you know, Christ incarnate heals people is through those other people who go, I hear you. I see you. And I still love you. And I'm still here. Thanks for showing up. And you go, really, I can, I can be myself. You know, Oh, and all that pressure that's built up that normally drives you to act out is dissipated when you actually feel connection. You have that intimacy with other people and that all starts with walking in the light. And if it takes your partner dragging you into the light and saying, you're going to go to a group where they all tell the truth, so be it. You know, repentance is simply going, "Uh, I've messed up. I can't do this. Help me you know he does he does the 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 work he does the the transformation the healing we have to do the repentance and that is simply going you know it's it's the what is it the first step i'm i'm helpless i'm hopeless you know and that's where we need to be as christians we need to be you know first stepping it the whole time admitting that we are powerless over our compulsion to sin and like can you help me can you help me somebody help me
1: amen to that amen yeah
0: no that's that's uh the humility aspect. Mm. I have a problem. Uh, <laughs> this this guy here. So many recoveries. Anyways, <laughs> yeah, but the, that is the first step. First step in anything is admi- the admission. Um, ad- admission that you don't have a hold of it. You don't have a grasp of it. Yeah. That you have to put it into the hands of, of somebody else. Um, unfortunately, mine was always in the hands of the worldly advice or the worldly help, and. I, I really believe this and I, and I will stand firm on this and, and you can send me emails and letters and all sorts of things. You will not heal. You will not overcome without Christ, without God, without the creator. You can say it, you you can think it, but there's just no way I I, I don't see it because it always creeps back in. Mm-hmm. It's like, okay, I had a 10 year hiatus, uh, but it creeps back in. Right. Okay, I have a six-year, and it creeps back in. And, and God has the ability through his son and that blood like we're talking about to completely take this issue away. It's because I'm walking with him. It's because I'm choosing to be with him, not my wife. Watch this. I'm speaking from the man point now. I, I, I'm not choosing to be with my wife. I'm not choosing to be with my children. I'm not choosing to be with my church. I'm choosing to be with Christ. Christ. And when I make that choice, men, when I make that choice, women, when you make that choice, you have made a choice to walk with who's going to heal the relationship with your wife, with your kids, with your church. There's going to be authenticity. There's going to be something that's deeper, more real. Yeah. And he just brings it in. But he wrecks house. He wrecks house. (laughs) Mm -hmm. But hey, sometimes you got to wreck the house to rebuild the house, right? Mm
2: Absolutely. Absolutely. I love that. You're, you're singing my tune. That's all I've got to say man. <laughs> I
1: think that one of the, I think, I don't think we've mentioned this yet. Your husband is now a therapist as mm-hmm. well. What kind of, what kind of therapist is he now? He
2: is now a certified sexual addictions therapist. So he deals with people addicted to sex and pornography all day long and their partners. So, um, yeah, it's kind of good for me because, you know, he does, uh, Groups for partners. So he'll come home and with new revelation. All the
1: time. <laughs> is that how the body works?
2: Yeah. 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 No, it's, it's, it's wonderful to um, see. I mean, he was, you know, this was decades long addiction and he spent tens of thousands of dollars trying everything he knew to get rid of this. And he didn't want to do that step that you're talking about, which is, you know, surrender. And, and be willing to be a doer of the word, not just a hearer. We're told to confess our sins, past, present, going forward. But we don't want to do that bit because nobody wants to do that bit. I certainly don't want to do that bit. I don't want to admit who I really am to people. I'd rather have this shiny veneer, you know, right. and, and it's really hard. It's really, really hard. And, and unfortunately, you know, the church should be the one place where we do have grace and we're allowed to be sinners because we have a savior, but somehow this performance based facade is so juicy to us. We so want to be better than we really are. And 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 not, I, I don't want to be the bleeding woman. You know, I don't want to be the woman at the well. I don't, right. you know, I would just like to have chosen Christ. I, I don't want there to be any need that I needed him. And it's just not true. We are all those, that's why all those beautiful, beautiful stories are in there.
0: Mm. Mm, I like
1: it. Yeah, that reminds me of Jacob. I'm going to leave yeah, it there. Yeah. But it just reminds me of the story of Jacob <laughs> wrestling with God at the end.
0: You won't find... The blessing and the promises until you find the humility. Um, you have to get to that point where you can't go any farther, mm-hmm. where it's like I have I, – I, it has to be – it can't be you. It just can't be you. Yeah. I, I think that sitting even in, in this realm of the three of us, your husband included, you know, we had to come to a point you know Jacob I'll bring it in Jacob was promised you know God made this promise and and Jacob said I'll follow you and 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 he's still there but Jacob's doing his own thing and working his own thing and doing his own thing I can do this I can do this the blessings are constantly there and it takes him wrestling with God so look maybe we need to wrestle with God but watch this why why was the wrestle even there cuz he wouldn't let go he had finally faced something he couldn't overcome mm-hmm. and it was his brother and it was like let me hold on give me the blessing you have got the blessing you've got it like learn that this blessing is there learn that this healing is there learn that this provision is there
2: yes
0: and so as we as we wrap right as we get close What would you, I mean, what is on your heart? Like, what is one thing, like if you had to just throw out there, like, you know, we go on the street and evangelize all the time and it's like, you don't have a lot of time, you know, It's like, you got to get out something that really just is impactful and quick and, and gets it done. What would that be? What
2: would, what would you say that is? Oh, that's a good question. What would I say? Like a a minute to evangelize. Um, We'll give you three. No, (laughs) (laughs) what would I say? I would say you have no idea of your own depravity and you have no idea how amazing your life can be. Mm -hmm. It doesn't mean it's going to look any better, but just the transformation, um, when you let go of the reins and, and just hand it over. And the fact that while we were dead in our trespasses, you don't even, you, you know, I'm okay. I'm reformed, so I'm like we are dead in our trespasses. I, I did not um, go forward and say the sinner's prayer. I I was just at the front of the church one week. I was there for the free donuts, and uh, somebody said, "Can I pray for you?" And I did not want to offend them. And I'm like, "Well, can you make it quick?" Like, <laughs> um, and I got zapped. So I absolutely know my heart of hearts, There is nothing I did. And he rescued me. And I was so dead in my sin at that point. I, there was no way I could even go forward and say that sinner's prayer. He dragged me there. He, and he filled me, he renewed me and he's put me on this crazy journey, which, um, is incredible, you know? And I, and, but, but what I'm trying to say is you need to understand quite how depraved you are and where you would be without Christ. And to know that is a gift. That is a gift. Yeah. Sometimes I get really jealous of people who say, oh, I fell in love with Jesus at age six. And I'm like, really? It took me <laughs> till I was 32. <laughs> you know, like I get grace. I know exactly where I would be and what I would be doing. Well, I don't I don't want to think about it, to be honest, um, but he rescued me. So my, my thing is, it doesn't matter how far down the rabbit hole you are, how depraved you think you are, how hopeless your situation or the situation of somebody else feels. He is able to breathe life into dry bones he is able to pull you out of the tomb mm-hmm. and he'll do it all he requires from you is for you to go help me help me mm-hmm. yes. help me help yes. me that's you you there's nothing you need to do there's no you know he does it all yes. he drags you there and to be honest he probably put that help me prayer in me
1: yeah mm, no one seeks good. god not one right and yet
0: here we all are amen amen, amen. thank you so much yeah thank can you, you so much.
1: can you let everyone know how they can reach you it'll also be in the show notes,
2: but. Sure. For those listening, yes, the uh, ministry is called fightforloveministries.org. And our podcast is called Fight for Love. And I've got a book out called Fight for Love, which is like an idiot's guide for partners um, of porn addicts. So awesome. that's where we are. Thank you so much. And then this week's,
0: I think I have it. Okay. This week's question of the week. <laughs> okay. Right? I've got this. I've got this. What? what? Uh oh. It's coming from the husband this time. Are you willing? Take this message, take it to the church, take it to your life group, take it to your Bible study group, whatever you call it, so that light can now be shined on this pornography issue.
1: Mm, That's a good one. That's a good one. And if you are down to get down with this and share this, make sure to let us know at thepantrypodcast.com as well as on our social networks. That's where you can find the show notes, the awesome links for Rosie, and a lot more issues dug and buried in our in our episode so until next time
0: bye bye Bye.